Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. I'm Austin. And I'm Miles, and this is episode three. A lot happened this week, so let's get right into the news. Dean Boyer announced it to the student body in an email that there is going to be a new dorm on 61st Street in what is currently the parking lot behind Harris. We might have a new business major on campus. So what we know so far is that the Department of Economics and the Booth School have partnered up to propose a business economics degree within the Department of Economics, which has been described as economics with a business flavor and, quote, more applied in nature than the current economics major. Stay tuned for more on that. So finally, the National Labor Relations Board ruled against the university, refusing to prevent the unionization of the Student Library Employee Union. The only remaining hurdle for that union is a charge of electioneering in the last election. If you missed it, make sure to check out our special episode on Professor Zingale's invitation of Steve Bannon, which dropped yesterday. On Wednesday night, Willie Cochran, the alderman of the 20th Ward, held a town hall to talk about the university's newest development. Woodlawn Commons, the name of the new dorm, will have 1,309 beds and is going to be located on the parking lot behind the current location of the Harris School of Public Policy. In terms of scale, at its tallest point, it's going to be 16 floors tall, which is a floor taller than North. And also, it kind of looks like North and South had a baby. Various individuals affiliated with the project spoke at Wednesday's event. Many stress the importance of involving Woodlawn residents in the project through job and apprenticeship opportunities. So my name is Wendy Walker-Williams. I'm with the University of Chicago's Office of Civic Engagement. What's wonderful about the Dining Commons is that it will be open to everybody in this room, you, the community. The Dining Hall will be run by Bon Appetit. They have been an outstanding community partner. Currently, they manage all of the Dining Halls for the University, and I'm proud to say that currently 50% of their employees are from the nine surrounding zip codes for the, for the campus. They are also estimating between 50 and 60 new hires for this facility. There will be several initiatives um, undertaken to minimize the construction impacts. One, the university is providing garage parking spaces for the construction workers. Construction traffic will be limited. They'll only use 60th Street via Cottage Grove and Stony Island. It's expected to create between 200 and 240 construction jobs and 15 permanent jobs. And Turner Construction Company has committed to meeting the university's expanded goals for diversity and local employment on construction projects. The goals call for 35% participation by certified minority-owned contracting firms and 6% participation by certified women-owned firms. We have a, a great track record, I think, and, and partners generally who share our commitment to diversity and minority and local participation, as Wendy mentioned. We appreciate the input from the community and really getting to know some of the businesses in the community, some of the people who are connected to this project. So we want to continue to work with the alderman and work with some of the community-based organizations and some of the contracting organizations in the area to make certain that we're maximizing the opportunities for those, for those firms. We're very interested in how universities and host communities come together, break down any sense of wall, and make this whole site as green as we possibly could. And our goal is to make it open, um, available, accessible to everybody who walks by. No construction traffic on 61st or further south. We've made provisions to have street cleaning as needed through the construction process. Construction noise, it's 8 a.m. start per city uh, requirements. Not only about the projects that are happening, here at Woodlawn Commons for this Maroon Sign Forum, and actually getting folks into these some of these apprenticeship programs will allow folks to work on other projects outside of this community. The, the bigger thing is, 
getting people into the trades is one of the challenges and get them educated to what it takes to, to work in the local trades here through the union. However, some residents who spoke at Wednesday's meeting were skeptical. I am concerned about jobs, the jobs that will go to a community that is 90% African American. When we look at your development team, it's hard for me to see where the African American uh, is in the development team. I'm a 30 year resident of Woodlawn, and I've been working in the city a long time. You've gotten a lot of projects and made millions of dollars. And I ain't seen a lot of black folks on your job. 39 people out of 20,000 residents is not a good number. That is not a good number. You gotta do better. So, I mean, we got to do things different this time if we're gonna do Woodlawn. Because we've been through it, we've been here a long time, and we're not gonna play that same game. So, get ready for some rough questions as we move on at your other meeting. We've gone through this process once before with building the South Dormitory. We stood here in a couple of meetings, just like we're standing here today, and been told by the construction company how this is going to work, what this is going to look like. <coughs> what happened was not what we were promised. It's how do we hold you to your promise here today? I'm very concerned that this process you know, it's not going to happen as a state of here today. So we just got 51% of all the jobs that are gonna be, uh, construction jobs that are gonna be available at the new uh, Obama Center will go to African-American minorities. Can you make a similar commitment? So I can't answer that question for you right now, but I will do my best to find out the answer. There's not a percentage set for, uh, out of the seven, like we, if you look at the seven zip codes, is how we work with the university that surround uh, the properties there. There's not a percentage set. But Woodlawn Residential Commons isn't the only big building going up south of the Midway. Not only did the university just open a new charter school building in Woodlawn, but the Obama Center is looking to break ground this summer. The Keller Center, which for fourth years like me might know as the former site of New Grad, is currently under construction on 60th. The Rubenstein Forum, which will be going up directly next to that, is soon to break ground. And to top it up, there's a hotel going up on 61st, too. On Friday, Austin and I sat down with three members of the Coalition for a CBA to talk about how these projects might affect surrounding communities. I'd just like to note that we did reach out to the Obama Foundation and the office of Alderwoman Leslie Hairston. While we did initially hear back from Hairston's office, they eventually stopped responding. We did not hear back from the Foundation, but if you're listening please shoot us an email at maroonpod at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Juanita Irizarry, and I'm the executive director of Friends of the Parks, and we're an ally of the CBA Coalition. Our most specific interest is in the sustainability platform, but we certainly support the entire CBA uh, Coalition's efforts. Um, I'm Kiana Butler, most preferred to as Gianni or Miss Gianni by my youth. I'm STOP's youth organizer, STOP the Southside Together, Organized for Power. 
Um, I'm, my work, the CBA, involves the youth, um, really, which is uh, making workshops that are based around the CBA and pretty much informing the community and getting others involved with knowing what a CBA is and giving them the generals of how it can actually work for them and not against them and how it's not under one organization, it's for the whole community. Uh, and I'm Rob Hayes. Uh, I'm a fourth year here at the university, uh, and I've been one of the co-leads this year for UChicago for a community benefits agreement. Uh, so we've been focusing a lot on uh, trying to convince the university to commit to signing uh, a CBA as part of this larger strategy to get both them, the city of Chicago, and the Obama Foundation to sign a CBA. With STOP, a CBA right now is important because it allows us uh, to have a ground root uh, legal documentation that states personally, I mean that states uh, that first off low income housing, which is a big, uh, big part of the CBA, won't be moved out of the neighborhood. We don't want low income housing moved out of the neighborhood, we want sustainable housing to be able to stay there and um, also be able to uh, come there too as well. New uh, subsidized housing and it won't be too much property taxes to where people won't be able to stay in their homes if they're already previous homeowners. We don't want homeowners being pushed out of their homes as well. We also want jobs to come out of the CBA. It's a lot of people in the community that need the jobs and if uh, if it's jobs that's going to come around the CBA, we think that the people in the community should be able to get those first, right? Um, and be able to sustain a job. Um, there's no reason for that to not be a signing for that and also with that being said we want to make sure that the school is getting back all their promises uh, uh you, we already know that they're taking away the football field they haven't yet gave us a solid promise to where it's going to be placed or where it's going to be put back at which and football field is this this is the football field in front of high park high school this is the one that the high park students use this is where they play their games this is where they practice um they also have a softball field right there right across um and this th that particular stuff was already paid for and it took the community a long time to get that we had to do a lot of fighting to get that and now here here come the obama library we want to make sure that that's even going to be replaced after all that fighting that the people did for that um and that's pretty much what we want and me personally as somebody who not only have lived in the community of over 20 years now i've been here 23 years uh my daughter's gonna live here my daughter's gonna grow up here I want to know that she's going to have a sustainable home school that's going to be able to be open and fully functioning and that she's going to be able to have all the education she needs to grow on and go to the next level. As well as I want to make sure that I'm still able to afford to even live in this neighborhood because of the fact that I know I make enough money, but I don't make a lot of money to afford a $1,000 apartment. And um, it's no way that uh, anybody really that lives in that area right now will be able to afford a $1,500 a month a studio apartment, one bedroom apartment when they got five kids. Um, so that's what the thing is with me. So Friends of the Parks, you know, con is concerned about some of the issues that have already been raised um, around the amenities and the green space that exist in Jackson Park that are going to get moved somewhere, hopefully, right? It's a huge complex issue and we actually fundamentally don't believe that the Obama Center should be in a park to begin with. Uh, we don't have enough park space in Chicago. Um, we're about number 11 on the list of large cities in terms of how much park space we have per person. Um, and so every time we build a new building in a park, we're taking a step backwards, right? Um, we think we could have 
welcomed a wonderful Obama Center to the south side of Chicago by building it across the street from a park. Um, and we had advocated for it being right next to Washington Park on vacant land that's owned by the city, the Chicago Transportation, and the University of Chicago, which is not putting in anything, you know, into this game. Um, that said... What do you mean by that? Well, you know, they're the ones that put out the application, right, to get the Obama Presidential Center to come to the city of Chicago, yet they have no stake in terms of putting in their own land on the issue, right? Um, and instead have you know, been part of this scheme to have the public bear the burden of it by taking parkland away in order to, to locate the center here. So how much total parkland are we talking here? Well, the amount has changed over time, but the um, newest iteration that the Obama Center has presented to the city to, to be reviewed right now by the City Plan Commission is about 19.3, I think, acres. Um, so, you know, our thing is if it's going to be in a park, which we disagree with, then we should at least get all of that green space back somewhere very nearby, as well as all of the amenities, the track and field, the baseball fields, any amenities that will be displaced should be put back right in the neighborhood. Yeah, and what's interesting about that, too, is that the city has promised to replace that parkland one for one. But again, it all comes back to, okay, the city is promising this, but unless you have a CBA, you have no way to hold them accountable so that they actually follow through on that promise. Like, neighborhood residents deserve to have that promise of replaced parkland put in writing, make it legally binding, so that there, I mean, there is such a long history of broken promises on the south side of Chicago. Um, and, and we can just you, shouldn't let this one. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, and, and I was about to transition to kind of talking about the university's role in all this, um, but they have a long, long history of kind of supporting urban renewal policies in the Hyde Park area uh, that were specifically intentioned to kind of keep black people out of the neighborhood. There were a lot of demolitions that went on to get rid of low-income housing and replace it with less dense, higher-income housing. Uh, so that you wouldn't have more African-Americans moving into the neighborhood. And the percentages of African-American residents that were displaced by that were far greater than white residents during that period. Um, when was that period? This was in the 1950s to early 1960s. Um, Arnold Hirsch, uh, who's a uh, historian on Chicago housing, has a really, really good book on this, if anyone listening uh, wants to check it out. so. When you have these kind of big development projects, you're going to get a lot of development that comes in with it. Um, and we're seeing that already in Woodlawn. I mean, the number of new market rate housing developments that are going up are astonishing. And we know that it's going to keep driving up rent prices in the neighborhood, and that's what's going to displace people. So now we've um, got the Obama Library. We've got now Woodlawn Residential Commons. We've also got a, a convention center and a hotel coming up. Exactly. And, and see, this is where the university comes into play, too, because the university really wants to say, we, we have nothing to do with the Obama Library. And it isn't totally clear exactly how the university fits into all this. But then you start to look at all of the development projects that they have going on south of the Midway. You have a for-profit hotel that they're building, the new residential commons, the Rubenstein Forum. And we know that there's going to be more because we know that they have more land down there. And, you know, they have been making all of these promises about all the good that these developments are going to do in the community. They're talking local hiring. They're talking other things. But unless it goes back to, again, <coughs> Community members deserve to have those promises about, say, local hiring put in writing so that they can hold the university accountable when they're hiring people to make sure that they're coming from the neighborhoods that are affected by it, and especially among hard-to-employ populations, things like that. So. 
And oh. I just wanted to provide the counterpoint here in that the reason that Obama cites for not signing a CBA is typically twofold. Um, the first being that the foundation's a nonprofit, um, and therefore, you know, historically CBAs aren't signed with nonprofits. And the second being, um, and this is a quote from him from back in September, he said, it's not inclusive enough. The concern I have with respect to community benefit agreements in this situation is that it's not inclusive enough because I would then be signing with who? What particular organizations would end up speaking for everybody in that community? Yeah. You know, I'm not an outsider here. I know the neighborhood. I know that the minute you start saying, well, we're thinking about signing something that uh, will determine who's getting jobs and contracts and this and that and the other, I'll, next thing I know, I've got 20 organizations that are coming out of the woodwork, some of them I've never heard of before. Because their attitude is going to be, well, this is an opportunity for me to be the gatekeeper on this process. He is trying to make the case that he wants to work with everybody in a transparent way and that actually, counterintuitively, a CBA would be limiting participation. Uh, so I would like to say something that one of my youth actually said the other night at a Harrison meeting. Um, she said to Harrison when Harrison re uh, re brought up that same quote that Obama said about the CBA. And she said, Leslie Harrison's alderman for the fifth, fifth ward. ward. Yes, yes. ma'am. Uh, it's my ward, uh, unfortunately. Uh, so. Uh, actually, what happened? Uh, so my my youth, her name is Nigel Crosby. The question she had for Miss Harrison when she raised that is, okay. With that being said, yes, we understand that it's a lot of organizations in the area, and yes, it is a lot of people that are wanting the CBA. She said, but the thing is, the CBA is not signed by any organization. The CBA is signed by the mayor of Chicago. The city of Chicago signs a CBA. It's an ordinance that is sent out that is a legally binding contract or it's a legally binding documentation that states that they have to do certain things. So my counter argument to that is we're not trying, no organization that is a part of this coalition is trying to be that organization, that top organization that says, I got the CBA. We're not looking for that. We're not looking for that at all. We're looking for the benefits to be reaped in the community, period. Like, and that's, that's exactly where it's going to, because we had another organization that was at the Harrison meeting actually stand up, and it was a South, someone from a South Shore organization that was with Harrison and uh, basically with the Obama Foundation saying, okay, well, we an organization, and we going to want something. And she stood up and said this. I mean, she said, we going to want something, and what about us, and what about our economics? We're saying to them, okay, we understand what y'all have going on, and that is all clear to us. That's why a CBA is beneficial for everybody within the surrounding communities. So you would not be co-signing the CBA as a particular organization? No, no, no particular organization is going to sign a CBA. Only person that is supposed to sign that CBA and that is supposed to pass through is Rami Manuel, whose hands will actually have to sign the CBA. The other thing is, um, we also, the, the, the main thing is they try to always put us against Obama as if that's who we're against. We're not against Obama at all. Nobody's against Obama or Michelle. We really respect them and we love Obama and Michelle, but the thing is love and respect can't get you 
a documentation that states that you're going to have everything that you see in your community already. You already know that your community is underfunded. Now you have somebody coming in with a big development that you're not sure if you're going to be able to stay around and even enjoy. And I myself have lived my whole life in the Humboldt Park Logan Square area, literally like within walking distance from the new 606, which mm. is this yep, super yep. popular trail. And one year after the 606 was open, my rent went up $450 a month, right? That's a lot of money, mm -hmm. you know? And while I was not technically unable to afford that, we moved because that is too big a jump, right? And a lot of people in my neighborhood have been forced out of the community. And on that same point, I just wanted to put this in context for the Jackson Park and Woodlawn areas too. According to our reporting back from October, property values in Jackson Park have risen 13% in the past year, and property values in Woodlawn have risen 23%, and you know that's 2017. I think it was the, the third hottest real estate market in the country for that period, which is, yeah, is just really remarkable and really shows the kind of threat that that displacement and, and, poses. And, and some people would say this is great for the neighborhood, right? But it might be great if you're a homeowner. It might be great if you're a homeowner who can afford that big a jump in your property taxes or someone who wants to take advantage of those inflation and real estate prices and move out, right, and cash out. But for an awful lot of people, they will not be able to, to afford that, that change, right? Maybe if they get some of the good jobs, you know, from the, the development of everything that's going around it, do they have a chance? But the reality is, I mean, it's highly likely that a lot of the people who are nearby are not going to be around to enjoy these new amenities down the road. I used to live in what was once Stateway Gardens with my grandmother, and then I used to live in what was once LeClaire Courts, uh, which is on the west side of Chicago. Stateway Gardens as well as the west side of Chicago? Uh, Stateway Gardens is actually on 49th, was on 47th, 49th Estate um, on, on down. and. I lived in the House of Terror, that's what they called the building, the House of Terror. Uh, I don't know why they had these names for the building. I was like four when I when I went and I moved out. But they moved a lot of those people out of that out of that area, out of those buildings, promised them they were gonna be able to come back, and only so many of them was able to come back. Only a small percentage of them was able to come back. And now when you go on 49th State, you see it's a Starbucks and you see it's a bunch of things there that are not for people that you know, would typically live in that community or live in that area at a different time frame. Um, and then as well, like, I'm also a product of what happens after you push everybody of a low-income residency into one area. Because once they pushed all of the people to the east side of the area, that's when a lot more of the crime broke out. I remember a time where it wasn't like that quite much. Um, and that's what hurts the most is when you see the difference in comparison to the community. I was looking at a one-bedroom apartment. Right now I'm paying 535 for my one-bedroom, and I got that one by luck. Um, but if you look at the rest of the one-bedroom apartments within this area, they're $800. 800 Some people are not even, I mean, some people is not even making $500 a week at their job. It's just going to be a continuous cycle. That's how I see it going. So for all of these reasons and more, it's clear why someone might want a CBA. Could you talk a little bit about your communications with the Obama Foundation, with the city, with the university, and how this process has played out on your side? The CBA Coalition is made up of a lot of different organizations. So there's, you know, kind of the leadership of the coalition and then lots of different organizations, each of whom potentially have different 
relationships with the Obama Foundation. Um, and as far yeah. as the coalition members, there are 13 listed online. Is that still correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay. I believe that was updated. And that's just kind of the core membership. I mean, I think there's another kind of 50 ally members mm -hmm. or things like that. People like the Chicago Teachers Union, SEIU Healthcare, um, have all been really supportive of the campaign. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so Friends of the Parks has our own relationship with the Obama Foundation, and they may speak to us about some things, but that doesn't mean that they're speaking to the CBA coalition. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge, is that they really, the Obama Foundation hasn't wanted to sit down with the coalition and talk about the community's demands. Right, because there have been a couple events, but I think they've been pretty small and perhaps involved some sort of invitation. Yeah, um, all of the kind of public forums or kind of community meetings that the Obama Foundation has held have all been invitation only, which is kind of amazing when you think that the mm -hmm. idea of a community meeting should be yeah. anyone from the community can come. It's an oxymoron. A bit, <laughs> a bit, yeah. Well, and they could have had invitation only meetings that included the CBA coalition leadership, mm -hmm. and they have not done that. And when you say the coalition leadership, who specifically are you referring to? Well, I, you know, I'm sure there are many folks, but I think about Coco and Stop in particular, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, have not been at the table um, to be able to directly talk about the demands Coco, of the coalition. Coco, just for listeners, being the Kenwood Oakland community organization mm -hmm. and Stop of course, Yanni. On a few occasions that um, we have sort of, like my youth and me have sort of just like popped up on our Obama mm -hmm. Foundation. Hello. Um, How many times have you done that? Uh, I think we did about three times. We just popped <laughs> up and then we had a couple of youth say some things to them and we got some really pretty, we got some some, some responses out of them. No. Um, so one of, uh, one of the things that we most recently did though the Obama Foundation came to have Park High School just about a week ago on a Thursday um, and I, we spoke with somebody named Mike I can't get his last name Stallinger yeah, no or something Strout Manis, Strout Manis. <laughs> my youth kind of cut him up uh, and I didn't want them to attack him the way they did but he wasn't expecting that they words was gonna be so powerful to him he came to the high school basically to tell the students what the Obama Foundation was what the library was gonna bring all of his amenities and what we was gonna promise he's talking about bringing green space back he said the top building gonna have grass it's gonna be cute and there's gonna be some snow one day and you go slid and I thought it was cute you know um, but my, my, my youth didn't appreciate how uh, he stuttered a lot while he was talking to them uh, stuttered over his words a lot as if he wasn't sure of things um, so one question that one of my youth asked him in particular was when uh, when y'all move our parkland where are y'all gonna place it back at, you know? Simple question. Simple question. <laughs> um, he was like, um, um, I can't really give you that answer because we still in negotiation with the park about the uh, parkland, so we don't even know if we can get the parkland yet. So we don't know where they gonna move it to yet. She said, if you can't even give me a complete answer now to where my park is gonna be or where my base, uh, baseball field and football field is gonna be, how can I guarantee that in 2019-2020 when this library opens up that I'm going to have a light, that I'm going to have a park or a ball field or anything like that and then another question was also raised was 
what 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 are y'all gonna do to help with the the kids around the community to get them more involved in in in, in activities that y'all say are gonna come outside of this library? How y'all gonna get them involved? And he was basically saying, well, we already got one intern that came out of this, and he he had the young man stand up, his name Chris or something. And I thought it was cool. I'm like, okay, internships cool all this sounds good it sounds really nice yes i would love to believe that but then my youth also said we can't trust that today it's january 26th do you see any hope for anyone signing a cba oh i mean there's always hope right um we we've been planning a lot of strategies um to continue pushing on Rahm Emanuel, on president zimmer on members of the Obama Foundation. Um, and you, Chicago for CBA, has hosted a couple protests, right? Are you still working on the postcard campaign? Yeah, so um, we, we've still been pursuing um, getting postcards to Alderman Leslie Hairston. Uh, the other thing that is kind of coming up soon, we're partnering with another group on campus, Reparations at UChicago, who has been doing a lot of research into the historical ties of slavery to the university. Um, and we're hoping uh, in the next couple of weeks to co-host an event with them about how the CBA can kind of be this almost this preemptive reparations process. The, ideal, the, the idea that if the CBA happens and it works, you can say this is a great example of a way that a university is able to engage with the community to establish this negotiating body and that this could be a model for other historical reparations processes that universities are now trying to grapple with as part of their history. Right, and on that note, I just wanted to reference the Staples Center, which was a CBA written in 2001 um, regarding the Staples Center in LA, and it required that the project's developers hire a certain percentage of long-term employees from the surrounding neighborhoods and from low-income neighborhoods across LA. That's actually been a pretty historic, successful CBA. Um, if a CBA were signed here, this could be kind of a watershed moment for Chicago. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really great example. And, and it shows, too, um, it, it really undercuts the idea that, one, development isn't going to happen if you sign a CBA or you're pushing for a CBA. We know that we can do both the development and do a CBA, and Staples shows that it's possible to do both, and that it's possible to really negotiate with the community, that you won't be excluding people, that it won't be too hard by having too many groups. We've shown, Staples CBA showed that you can do this process and the community can really benefit from it. Ideally, I think it would all be tied into the Obama Library CBA, um, that it would designate this area as saying, look, for any new projects that happen here, you need to make sure that you do this amount of local hiring. For any new housing development, you have to have this percentage of affordable housing involved. Um, so I think ideally it would all be one thing. Um, if it, and, and I don't know if the coalition kind of has a strategy uh, for doing it elsewhere. At least, um, that would have to be conversations we had. But I, I think ideally, it would all be under one CBA. So theoretically then, to just walk this out a little bit, should there be a CBA for all major construction projects on the south side? I, I would really love to see that. There was a great example uh, in Detroit this past election cycle where some advocates actually got a ballot measure that people could vote on that said, you have to do a CBA for any project above, I don't know, $100 million in construction costs or something like that, which would radically change the way we do development in cities in, I think, a way that would be incredibly beneficial because it would give communities a seat at the table every time that these development projects happen, and you don't have to have these same fights over and over and over again.
Um, so I, I personally at least would love it if we went in that direction. And this is a good time to think about the fact that municipal elections will be coming up mm-hmm. and aldermen will be up for re-election, the mayor will be up for re-election. So it's a good opportunity to present to candidates at all levels and across communities this idea of a, a CBA for all construction or you know, broader thinking about CBAs. We've got a couple of sweet events this week. On January 30th, the IOP is hosting a political speech writing workshop hosted by Larry McInerney, followed by a watching party of the State of the Union. On February 3rd at 8 p.m., the University Chamber Orchestra is hosting a concert at the Logan Center featuring the music of Beethoven, Bartok, and... I don't know how to pronounce any of this. Is it Glinka and Bartok? I think it's probably Bartok. 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 Okay. It's just Bartok. At least we think that's how you say it. For more information, check out chicagomaroon.com slash events. The fun tech fact of the week is Elon Musk's Boring Company is now selling a $500 flamethrower. They're also selling a $30 branded fire extinguisher to go with it. And on the website to buy the flamethrower, it explicitly states that it may not be used on Boring Company decorative lacquered hay bales or Boring Company dockside munition warehouses. That is boring as in drilling a large hole rather than uninteresting. That's all we got for this week. I'm Austin. And I'm Miles. First off, thank you to everyone that participated in our Obama CBA roundtable. Thank you to Aaron Sendon for some wonderful music. Ben, Kent, and the entire Logan Cage staff. And Catherine McDonald for her continuing and unwavering support of this project.